It's important to know. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 16, 16 16-2, and 16-3 The Great and Terrible Part 1 and 2 And The Wonderful City of Oz This week finds us finally face-to-face with the wizard. We also find ourselves split needlessly into three chapters. Look, when I started writing Dark Days like six years ago, I was new to this whole novel thing. I still guess I technically am when you compare me to, you know, actually good writers and prolific writers such as Stephen King or Ira Levin or Robin Cook or Dean Koontz or... You get the idea. Anyways, before this, most of my writing was really bad, really generic, teen angsty poetry from my high school and early college years. You know that time in your life when you feel like an outcast and are constantly trying to be emo, maybe without even actually being emo? I was never really much of an outcast or... A truly tortured soul. But I didn't let that stop me from trying to be like my idols Trent Reznor, Chris Hall, or Maynard James Keenan. Hmm. Now how did we get here? Right, right. I was pretty new to this writing thing when I started this. I swear, when I was writing these chapters, they felt way longer than five or ten minutes. And I'm not even entirely sure what possessed me to split the great and terrible into two parts. It makes no sense. I mean, Baum didn't even split his chapter up. And he had twice as many characters meeting the wizard. Anyway, before I move on, one last thing about my really bad poetry. You can purchase it on Amazon. It's titled The Black Notebook, a collection of generic Teen Angsty Poetry, Volume 1. Yes, that is a ridiculously long title. And that ridiculously long title is intentionally ridiculously long, in order to make it difficult to find. And it is very overpriced, in order to dissuade potential readers. Maybe someday I'll turn that into a podcast. Or maybe just a humiliating TikTok profile. So, let's get back to this aftermath thing. My chapters are short. The bomb chapter is long. I tried to make Dark Days as similar to the bomb version as I could, you know, with the few obvious exceptions of there not being a woodman and a lion to meet the wizard in my chapter. Dorothy meets the big giant head. Mister meets a beautiful woman. My description of the head that Dorothy meets is a reflection of the original Denslow artwork 
and a dude I once worked with many, 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 many years ago. Mostly the dude that I worked with. There's also a similar description when when talking about the trees that are trying to kill Dorothy and Mister toward the beginning of the book. If I were to fantasy cast the wizard here, I would say Danny DeVito. No, just kidding. Although, now that I think about it, Danny DeVito would be awesome as almost every character in this book. Almost. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. No, it would be my comedy idol, Louis Black. He would be my definite go-to. In fact, when I wrote this, I had Louis Black largely in mind. I can't do a Louis Black impression, though, so I'm not even going to try. And now that I think about it, I don't think anyone can do a Lewis Black impression. And if you can, well, that's really impressive. He's just got that voice that it's just hard to emulate. His demands of Dorothy in Dark Days are the same as in Baum's version. Kill the witch. Baum's witch is never named. Mine, on the other hand, is... The name Krista is actually an amalgam of names of people I felt wronged me in my high school and college years. I will leave it at that. In case you missed it, I also threw in some clues as to the wizard's origins in there as well. Mister gets pretty much the same treatment across both books. We do, however, get a glimpse of his personality here. He's a simple fellow, really. Just give him a chair and a window... And he's content. Finally. Finally, on to the moment I've been waiting for all week. The discussion of the wonderful city of Oz. As I mentioned before, I love this chapter. It's everything the wonderful Wizard of Oz stands for. While the film and many iterations of the story focus heavily on the cloud of green smoke and the giant head, the book offers so much more. If you've never read the book, or this is your first experience with it, you might be surprised that there are many different forms of the wizard. The head, the woman, the beast, the fireball. I think this is one of Baum's best ideas. I don't want to spoil anything, but listen. Like the winged monkeys before, if you have somehow managed to go your entire life without learning the plot twist of The Wizard of Oz, then, well, what have you been doing? I'll say this. Baum's use of different characters and appearances by the wizard is a brilliant way to lead up to one of the biggest reveals in literary and film history. I won't say anything else about this right now, on the incredibly off chance that you somehow don't know what's going to happen next. This chapter was a blast to read and record, not only because it's entertaining, but because it has so many fun characters and voices. Okay, so here's the deal. I won't apologize for any accent that isn't accurate. I'm not a professional voice actor. I'm not trained in the art of accents. I'm just a guy that tries to mimic voices of actors that he likes. Tries. I will also point out that Oz is not a real place. 
There is no England, there is no Ireland, no Australia or Boston. So, if my English accent is a bit wonky, or I make a failed attempt at the Russian accent here or there, I'm just going to go ahead and write it off as an accent unique to the land of Oz. Nobody knows what the different Ozonian dialects sound like. Maybe they sound almost like familiar accents, but not quite. You know, like in that Halloween episode of The Simpsons, where they're abducted by aliens. And they ask the aliens why they speak English. And the aliens then tell them that they actually speak a different language. It just so happens to sound exactly the same as English. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what you get. Anyway, I loved doing the voices here. And for all that talk about not worrying over potentially inaccurate accents... Well, I did actually try to learn an accent for this wizard. And by try, I mean I went to YouTube and looked up how to do an English accent and watched a handful of videos. I don't know. Maybe it was a good voice and I'm being too hard on myself. I'll let you be the judge of that. And you can then in turn let me know what you think by emailing me at darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com or on Twitter, where I'm at Dark Dorothy G. See what I did there with my voice? Pretty, pretty cool, huh? 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 No? Yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, I know the big green head and the smoke is iconic, but my personal favorite appearance of the wizard is the monster that the woodman sees. Here's the thing. Yet another thing. I know. I know. There are countless dissections and examinations of Baum's classic. I have never set out to be one of those people that claims to find the hidden meanings behind this book. I won't tell you that the Tin Woodman is a symbol of the American working class, or that the Scarecrow is symbolic of the American farmer, or that the Lion once ran for president. I won't claim the Emerald City is paramount to Washington, D.C., and American politics because everything in it is seen through the green-tinted spectacles that represent looking at the world through money-colored lenses. I won't call Dorothy a feminist, I won't call the book in general a Christian allegory, and I won't say it's secretly preaching atheist views, and I won't call it a drug-addled trip disguised as a children's story. Some of those things, they might be right. Some of those things, they might be wrong. Or, for all we know, any deep analysis could just be missing the point completely. I'm not a historian. I'm not a literary scholar. I'm a guy who read the preface of the book in which Baum wrote, The story of the wonderful Wizard of Oz was written solely to please children of today. It aspires to being a, a modernized fairy tale in which the wonderment and joy are retained, and the heartaches and nightmares are left out. There is a deeper meaning to many things, but is there a deeper meaning to everything? Can't the moral and deeper meaning just be that everything you are, everything you aspire to be, is already inside of you? You're full of potential. Can't that just be the deeper meaning? 
Maybe he just wanted to write a fun story. Maybe? Just maybe? Okay, all right. The point of this long-winded rant is this. I don't know if there is any significance to the way the wizard appears to any one character. I don't know if it's a giant head for Dorothy because she's some kind of feminist savior being oppressed by a man. I don't know why the Scarecrow meets the wizard as more or less an angel, or why the woodman meets him as a giant beast, or what each part of that beast means. I don't know why the lion is greeted by a fireball, and personally, I think all these things are just devices for the characters to explain their flaws in logic once more. Like, you know, maybe the scarecrow meets a woman so that the tin woodman can later on point out that he would rather meet a woman instead of a giant head, because a head has no heart, and women are warm and fuzzy, and will be more likely to sympathize with his plight. Also, is that sexist? Was he being misogynist there? Like, I'd rather meet a woman. They're much nicer than men. They got hearts, you know. Men, they're just jerks. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just being silly right there. So anyway, for all you scholars out there, as if any of you are listening to this podcast right now, feel free to have your thoughts. That's fine. It doesn't really matter to me. But I'm not budging from most of mine. A large part of this compare and contrast of the two is to point out what I mean in my own works, and in my own words. 121 years from now, should this book or podcast be unearthed or rediscovered, I don't want anyone trying to fill my heart with something that isn't there, or putting thoughts into my head that never were, or words into my mouth that I never meant. Okay. Sorry, sorry. I I assume you probably don't come here to listen to me raving like a lunatic, so let's talk a little bit more about Oz, shall we? The wizard, not a nice guy. While this is indeed my favorite chapter, and what I regard as the biggest moment in the book, even bigger than the big twist toward the end, I do have to say I feel really, really bad for Dorothy here. And honestly... If you don't feel bad for her, you might need to, you know, get in line for a new heart yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel all that bad for the woodman, scarecrow, or lion. They can at least go back to their normal lives if they want to. Dorothy, on the other hand, is stuck in a strange place far away from home. You know, unless she murders someone. Wait a minute... What was that thing Frankie said about this story? Something about, you know, wanting to write something in which the wonderment and joy are retained and the heartache and nightmares are left out. Whew, talk about taking a turn there, man. Jeez. Okay, I think I've kept you all long enough. I should probably start wrapping this thing up. So come back next week for a super short week. That's one chapter, chapter 19, The Road to the West, part one, and one aftermath episode. And a bit of bad news for anyone just listening to the Wizard of Oz chapters. 
I know it's a bummer, but there is no wonderful Wizard of Oz chapter until June 23rd. As a quick reference, this episode is originally dropping May 21st. So, yeah, it's going to be almost a month before I get to another Wizard of Oz chapter. In that time, there will be 13 chapters of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale and four Aftermath episodes. I know that's a long wait, and that's a lot of chapters crammed into a short amount of time, but it is what it is. In order to keep everything in sync and flowing smoothly, that's just kind of the way I have to do it. And I truly appreciate your understanding and dedication. Thanks for listening. I love you all. Oh, and one more thing. A great big thank you to one of my oldest friends. And I say oldest as in one of the friends I've had the longest in my life. Not that he's an old man. Although he is slightly older than me. But anyways, thank you, Jose, for buying a copy of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale on Amazon and leaving me a wonderfully nice review. That was super awesome, and I greatly appreciate it. And if you're listening, I hope you keep listening, and I hope you're enjoying it.